Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the Gospel of John, chapter six. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. When the disciples heard this, they said, well, this teaching is too difficult. Who can accept this? And Jesus, being aware that they were complaining, he said, does this offend you? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, it does, because Moses said eating blood was prohibited, and anyone who eats it, I'm going to set my face against that person, and they'll be cut off. Yeah, it offends us. But it's all going to make sense one day. It's all going to make sense one day. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you for making atonement for your lives on the altar. It's the blood that makes atonement. Wait and see how I, Jesus Christ, the new Moses, is going to fulfill what the old Moses said. But we're going to need the Holy Spirit. So I got to do all the other work first. I won't leave you orphan. I'm going back to the Father, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then your minds will be illuminated. You're going to understand everything. Like, what would you guys say right now if you were to see the Son of Man ascending? Like, what if you just saw me transvaporate up to heaven? And they did see that. Can you imagine being there that day and just seeing him go up? It's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. And guess what? Only two of them made it to the promised land, just Joshua and Caleb. They all died, even though they ate the bread from heaven. But this bread that I'm going to give you, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the verb in the Greek is trogos. It's to gnaw and chew on it. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Signs for the sick. Those especially sick in sin because that's the worst fatal illness you can ever have. Sin on your soul, especially mortal sin. Jesus, the new Moses, had come to heal the sick. And the worst illness are those trapped in sin because it's eternally fatal. Like the Samaritan woman who's living in adultery. She has five husbands. She's living with a six. He wants to get her out of that because he loves her. The lame man at Bethsaida in the pagan healing pool, he's trapped in idolatry. He wants to get him out of that. Get out of that so something worse doesn't happen to you. And now today in John 6, with Moses on his mind, the new Moses went up the mountain. Oh, who else did that? The old Moses also went up the mountain. And Jesus went up the mountain and sat down with the disciples. Every Jewish rabbi sits down to teach. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews was near. Ah, Passover. This is so important, and you're going to have to buckle up your seatbelts to stay with me. But Moses was given seven feast days in Torah. Seven, perfection, feast days in Torah. Jesus, the new Moses, is going to fulfill all seven feasts in Torah. And John is the only one who theologically shows us this. Jesus is going to be the fulfillment of every Jewish feast. And here's the Jewish liturgical calendar. All the important things happen in a seven-month period, starting with the first month, Nisan, which is Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost, which we're going to focus on today. This is a spring festival. They said the grass was green. Jesus has already fulfilled the spring feast, and we'll go over that right now. Passover, festival of the Jews was near. Three feasts are very close together in the spring. Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. 
Okay, Jeopardy question. Which patriarch in the Bible started the very first Passover? Ding, ding, ding. Moses. Who was Moses? Yes, and it was the 10th sign, the fullness of signs for Egypt. And what saved them from death was the blood of the lamb, the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorposts. Now, if Passover was near in this passage today, they won't be eating leavened bread for a long time. Because Moses said to the people, remember this day when you came out of slavery, the Lord brought you out by the strength of his arm. No leavened bread shall be eaten. And that's the feast of unleavened bread. And for seven days, they can have no bread with leaven or yeast in it. So they have to eat that crackery bread. It's not as good as yeast bread, but they were to get all the leaven out of their house and eat nothing leavened for seven days. And how long should they do this forever? Keep this as an ordinance. It's proper time from year to year to year forever, a perpetual ordinance for all time. This unleavened bread. Remember that. Okay. The same month as Passover is the festival of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days. You shall eat only unleavened bread. Why unleavened bread for seven days? Well, one thing is they were going to be in a hurry to leave that night. When Pharaoh says go, they had to go. They were going to be in a hurry to get out. You can't be waiting for bread to rise, for yeast to rise. Also, they were to sweep their homes clean of any leaven. Why? Because like leprosy in the Bible, leaven can also be like sin, right? Because leaven makes things rise. Jesus warned, watch out for the yeast, the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. Because what happens with yeast, any of you bread makers, you add yeast, you put a little sugar and some warm water, you activate it, it starts multiplying, you put some flour in, you keep kneading it, you walk away for a while, you come back in a couple hours and the dough's going over the side of the bowl. That's how sin is. It... Paul said, your boasting's not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? So, get rid of the unleavened bread for seven days. Get rid of the old yeast, says Paul, so you can make a new unleavened batch as you really are, sin-free, after Jesus. Paul says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus Christ fulfills Passover. He's the Passover lamb. Also, Paul says, therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, what is this new unleavened bread of sincerity and truth? It's him. I am the bread of life. I am the truth. He's the bread of truth. He's the unleavened, no sin, sin-free bread that we can eat and be in communion with the Trinity and live forever. Jesus wants to heal us from the worst sickness, which is sin. And so we eat the sin-free, unleavened Jesus, and it's the medicine of immortality. The Eucharist heals us by bringing us into this leaven-free, sin-free communion with the Trinity. That's why we go to confession if we're in mortal sin before we go to communion, because we want to be sin-free so we can have a total communion The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. We heard that in Ezekiel. We heard that in Revelation. So Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Keep the festival, not with the old bread of leaven and malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, the Eucharist. Now at the Jewish Seder meal commemorating Passover, a little later in their history, they used three unleavened loaves. Now, remember the Lord visited Sarah and Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre in Genesis 18. And it was in the form of three separate persons. Remember that? 
It's a hidden trinity there in the Old Testament again for Abraham and Sarah. They are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Abraham hastened into the tent and told Sarah, hurry, make three cakes. Hurry, get some flour, make three loaves of bread, knead it. It's going to be unleavened because he needs it quick. They don't have time for, for yeast to rise, but she does. She makes one for each of them. Okay, now at the Seder, they break the second loaf of unleavened bread. They take the middle one out and break it. Then they take that broken unleavened bread and hide it in a linen cloth. It's called the afikomen. The divine number is three, and they take the middle one. Who's that? They break him. He's broken. He's hidden in linen, wrapped in linen, and hidden away. The center unleavened bread is Jesus. There he is. It's a hidden trinity that Sarah knew about, of unleavened bread. Jesus, the bread of life, blessed and broken for all. His body was broken and wrapped in linen and hidden away in a tomb. That linen cloth that he was wrapped in is probably the Shroud of Turin, which is centuries old and bears the image of a crucified man. It's a shroud. They say it's the linen burial shroud of Jesus Christ, and they have it on display if you want to go see it at a Catholic church, the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist in Turin, Italy. And they get it out on special feast days like Holy Saturday when it's exhibited under armed guard for people to come and see. One wrist has a big round wound. There's a gouge in the side. There's puncture holes around the head. There's linear wounds on the torso and legs. There's swelling of the face and streams of blood down both arms. We know Joseph of Arimathea wrapped the body of Jesus in a linen and laid him, hid him away in the tomb. Okay, back to the spring feast days. We've got Passover unleavened, first fruits in this spring feast. Now, Jesus is going to fulfill all of these. And say, people don't think that Jesus is fulfilling feasts, but he is because we forget that feasts are laws of Moses. These feast days are laws prescribed in Torah that they had to do. And Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. So he's going to fulfill every single feast day. It's beautiful. It's so symbolic. First, he's been the Passover lamb. Now he's been the unleavened bread, broken that we too could be unleavened and free from our sins. Now, let's talk about the messianic fulfillment of the Feast of First Fruits. It's the third feast there in the spring. Paul says, Paul got this, Paul's a mystic like John. Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. Oh, Jesus is the first fruits. Okay, he's gonna fulfill that one too. Paul's climax of the book of glory, the second part of John, is that Jesus answered them that the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, like first fruit. Now listen to all these clues. In Leviticus 23, Moses is given in the law about this first fruit festival. You have to bring the sheaf of your first fruits of the harvest to who? The priest. You have to bring it to the priest. He'll raise the sheaf before the Lord. The priest will raise the sheaf before the Lord that you may find acceptance on the day after Sabbath. So that'll be on a Sunday. The priest shall raise it. After the priesthood has approved of the offering, then grain is mixed with oil. That would be an unleavened bread, and it's drunk with wine, bread and wine. You shall eat no bread until you've brought this offering of your God. It's going to be a statute, how long? Forever, 
forever throughout all generations. It's another perpetual ordinance, and it's called the Feast of First Fruits. John gives us the clues for this. John 20, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, this is Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed. Peter and John, in the meantime, are racing to get there. They see the linen wrapping lying there. Both of them witness the linen wrapping. They don't understand the scripture yet. They didn't know he must, they didn't get it, so they run home. They should have taken that shroud before Turin got it. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, Mary Magdalene stays there and she is weeping. And she's sitting there alone crying, and someone walks up behind her and she thinks it's the gardener. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and saw him and she said, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't hold on to me. Don't touch me. It's a little odd. I never understood it until this week. He said, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Why? Wouldn't he give her a, an embrace? Wouldn't, wouldn't he show his love? But in the very same chapter, Thomas gets to go all the way into his wounds and touch. What is going on? It's the first fruits. First fruits had to be inspected and approved by the priesthood first. Don't touch me, Mary. Thomas, you're a member of the new priesthood. The Lord spoke to Moses, bring the sheaf of the first fruits of the harvest to the priest. He shall raise the sheaf before the Lord that you can find acceptance. On Sunday, the priest shall raise it. It's Easter Sunday. There's a priesthood. He wants Thomas to inspect it. Jesus is the first fruit of a new creation. A new priesthood will have to inspect him first before Mary can ever touch him. He's the first fruit. He must be inspected by a new priesthood. I love that. Don't hold on to me. I haven't ascended yet to my father. Go to my brothers. Go to my brother priests. The priests first have to approve that I'm the first fruit offering. The first one risen from the dead, a new creation. Go get the priests. Go get your brothers. Jesus is the new high priest. He has raised the offering of himself. He's the high priest. He raised himself. He raised the first fruit from the dead. The other priests are going to have to approve of this offering before any of the public can, can have at it. That's how first fruits worked. So on that same day, it was evening on the first day of the week, on Sunday, Easter Sunday night, he goes to the priesthood, his brethren in a new priesthood. Now we're still in the period of unleavened bread because that's a seven day feast. We're still in that time zone. It, it was unleavened bread for seven days. And all the leaven that they want to repent of and become unleavened is going to happen right now when he walks in and breathes the Holy Spirit on them. Because they would have said stuff like, but I denied you three times. And I didn't stay at the cross. The only one that stayed was John. We all left. We all went and hid. We're sorry, Lord. We're sorry, Lord. They want to get unleavened. They want to get free from sin. And he can do it because he's the first fruit of a new creation. And so it's the first confession. Whatever, who's ever seen, he gives them the authority. The risen God gives them authority to forgive sin, only to this priesthood. If you forgive sin, they're forgiven. If you don't, they're retained. It's in that unleavened bread period. So now that they've all been leavened free, they've all gone to confession, they've all repented, now leavened free, let's consecrate this unleavened bread by the power of the Holy Spirit that I've breathed on you in this new priesthood of Melchizedek who brought also out bread and wine in Genesis chapter 14, if you remember, and blessed our father, Abraham, who's really now the father of all God's children. And I'm sure he started teaching them right there, and I'm sure they had their first mass right there. 
I've always felt that when I read that scripture. It doesn't say it. It's just, it, but, but he breathes the Holy Spirit on them and he's got, until his ascension, he's got this time to teach them, to make all the connections. They get a private Pentecost. They get the Holy Spirit first because they're the groom. They're in persona Christi. The first mass on Easter Sunday, the first day after Sabbath, in that upper room with a new priesthood and that upper room is directly above the tomb of King David. But guess what? King David's body's not there and the Jews can't figure it out. But I can. He was harrowed when God came and proclaimed he was set free. He's in heaven. Now, this puzzled me though, because at the same time in Luke 24, there's a walk to Emmaus going on in Luke's gospel. And it's also the first day of the week. It's also Easter Sunday. And the women have come and taken spices to the tomb. And on that same day, on Easter Sunday, two of them are going to a village called Emmaus. It's seven miles away. And you know the story, and I'm not going through all of it. But he opens the scriptures, and their hearts are burning, and da-da-da-da-da. But they urge him strongly, stay with us, stay with us, because it's almost evening. Day is almost over. So it's getting dark. And he was at table with them, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it. What's that sound like? He does mass with them. And their eyes were opened. And that's when they recognized him. And then what? He vanishes from their sight. Gone. And it's just like this risen Jesus was saying mass at Emmaus. Their eyes are open, they recognize him, and he vanished from their sight. Poof, he's gone. And it's just what happened in John 6 today. Similar, when they're out on the sea, and he says, it's I, do not be afraid. They want to get him and take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the other side. Wow. This is some new Moses, right? So when he's supposed to be at two places at one time, he's supposed to be in Emmaus, and he's supposed to be in the upper room in Jerusalem with the ten, he's either bilocating, like Padre Pio. I guess if Pio can do that, so could Jesus Christ. (laughs) Right? He's either bilocating in his glorified body, or he needs to hightail it out of there and get to the upper room for the apostles' first confession and their mass with the risen Lord. And Jesus says in John 14 to them, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. You guys, you, my new priesthood, are gonna do way greater things. You're gonna all be saying mass at the same time all over the world in all different languages. Thomas, you're going to India. Peter, uh, let's put you up in Antioch. Um, James, how about Spain? You know, they're all over the world saying mass, transubstantiating the Eucharist, the bread of life, the flesh of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. So in John 6, Jesus said to eat him and to drink him for eternal life, but they don't know what that means at this point. They don't know how to do that until the rabbi will sit down and teach them when he's resurrected. And it'll all be illuminated by the Holy Spirit. He breathes the Holy Spirit on them. He's the Passover lamb. He's the unleavened bread. He's the first fruits of a new creation covenant. He's raised by the high priest. He's approved. He's raised himself, the high priest, and is a new priesthood. So when Jesus feeds 5,000 in John 6, it's a very, very, very great miracle. And all four Gospels record this. There's only two miracles that all four record, the feeding of the 5,000 and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a very important miracle. We'll put it at number two. Bread multiplication and his own resurrection. It's not about a boy sharing his lunch and everybody getting long and sharing sandwiches. No, not at all. That was the 70s, folks. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. It's about the second greatest miracle of all time following the resurrection of the dead. 
This Jesus, the new Moses, has multiplied only two fish, only five barley loaves to feed over 5,000 people that day. There's a boy who has five barley loaves. Why barley? Because barley was harvested before wheat in Israel. Barley is inferior to wheat. Do you want a barley bread or a wheat bread? Wheat! The gift of finest wheat is coming. The greatest harvest is coming. Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls, it's just a single grain. But if I fall and die and rise and plant all you guys, we can feed the world. Jesus told them in John 4, look around. See how the fields are ripening for the harvest? The reaper is already receiving wages. He's gathering fruit for eternal life so the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, the other reaps. The wheat is coming. The wheat harvest is Pentecost. 7 times 7, 49 plus 1. It's the Feast of Weeks. Seven days, seven days, seven weeks, 49. And on the second day of Passover in the temple, they have an omer of barley. It's cut, it's brought to the temple as an offering. This grain offering was referred to as the omer. Every night from the second night of Passover to the night before Pentecost, the Jews would recite a blessing and state the count of the omer because they're counting to Pentecost. In both weeks and days, on the 16th day, they'd say, today is 16 days, which is two weeks and two days of the Omer. And every night, they'd count it down. The counting was to remind them of the link between Passover, which commemorates the Exodus, and the first Pentecost, which commemorates the giving of Torah. And that reminded them that slavery, their bondage, was not complete. They weren't completely free until they received Torah on day 50. That's the wedding gift God had for them at Pentecost. The counting was intended to remind them of that link between Passover, which now is the crucifixion of Jesus, and Pentecost, which is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And that reminds us that our sin was not complete until we received the Holy Spirit. Because we could only live by the flesh until we got the Spirit. Now we can live by the Spirit. So this is the wedding gift. God married Israel on Sinai. In Exodus 19, he gave the Torah as the wedding gift. God married the church on Pentecost and gave her a new gift, the Holy Spirit. So the Omer of Barley was offered in the temple of Jerusalem, signifying the allowance of the new grain, the new harvest. On the 50th day, after the beginning of the Omer count, corresponding to the holiday of Pentecost, two loaves were brought to the priest made of wheat the finest wheat, and guess what? Leaven, it has yeast in it. They were offered at the temple to signal the start of the wheat harvest. Two loaves made of the finest wheat and yeast, leaven. It's the only time that bread with leaven could be allowed in the temple, this day. And it's called the wave offering, and it's two loaves of bread. It signifies now the old covenant and the new covenant. The Jews and the Gentiles, all God's children. The wave offering was two loaves of wheat bread with yeast. Only time yeast was ever allowed in the temple. And here's what it says from Moses. You shall bring your settlements two loaves of bread as an elevation offering, a wave offering, each made of the finest choice flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. The priest shall raise them with the bread as the first fruit elevation. They'll be holy to the Lord. This is a forever statute in all your settlements for all generations. Time out. We thought leaven was bad, like sin. It grows rapidly and you're not supposed to have it. 
But remember, the Trinity appeared to Abraham and Sarah, and they were the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They didn't know it at the time, but Abraham fell down on his face and said, Sarah, make the bread. Oh, she, Sarah, she was 90 years old. She who is barren, I will turn her sorrow to joy. That's when Sarah is told she's going to have the child of promise, Isaac, laughter. Isaac is Jesus. It's a foreshadowing of Jesus. Isaac, Sarah quickly makes three measures of flour, unleavened bread. Now, only one time does Jesus use leaven in a good way in the New Testament. He told another parable. It's kind of obscure. People just read over it and don't know what it means. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is going to be like yeast bread when Jesus comes because the Trinity is going to be revealed. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of God is going to explode like a big loaf of bread. And it's going to be for all the world. And that's the monotheistic Catholic faith. There's three monotheistic religions, Judaism, Islam, and Catholicism. And the kingdom has spread like dough with leaven. It's a new wedding gift, a fulfilled new bride. Widowed Israel and the virgin bride, the church, have merged into one body of Christ with Jesus as the head. He's the fulfillment at Pentecost. The wedding gift is the Holy Spirit. The new priesthood is the groom. They're going to stand in persona Christi. They got the Holy Spirit first. Why? So that they can lead the bride into all seven sacraments. They can lead the bride into Jesus in every way, in the fullest way possible. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. This is Jesus. His body, his blood, and his valid priesthood. And we got it, folks. How thankful. Eucharist means thankful. How thankful are we? How thankful are we for this bread of life that if we eat it, we will never die. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life. We praise you. We thank you. We glorify you. When we receive you next, may we know, may we have communion with the Trinity. May we see you as the fulfillment of all the law. You are Passover lamb. You are unleavened bread. You are first fruits. You are Pentecost. You are everything, Jesus. No one could make this up. It is way too, way too, way too obscure. How could anyone put this together except for your Father, God, the creator of all things, who knew before the beginning of time, before he laid the foundation of the earth, that you, Jesus, would make yourself so low that we could eat you as a piece of bread that you would be in our bodies, that we could commune with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. May we never, ever take you for granted. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the Gospel of John, chapter six, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.